My friend Adriana begins every year with a word. I love this idea. The word I want to claim for this year is joy. This year, joy has come in a way that surprised me through the classes I've been taking with Making Wave Studios, which offers Zumba, yoga, and meditation. If you heard our recent episodes, Dancing Saved My Life and Finding the Fuego, then you've already heard me talk about the founders, two incredible women who have learned how to find joy in dance during some of the hardest moments of their lives, and who are sharing that gift with the rest of us, one wonderful class at a time. You can sign up for their online and in-person classes at makingwavestudios.com. This is Shelter in Place a podcast about embracing the journey in a world forever changed. Coming to you from Oakland, California, I'm Laura Joyce Davis. There's a story that I tell often of how on March 16th, 2020, I came up with an idea that would change everything. I'd started daily podcasts called Shelter in Place, how the very next day, on our first day of pandemic lockdown, I recorded and published my first episode, Today marks our two-year anniversary as a show. We've created almost 200 narrative episodes with over 100 people, including artists, doctors, educators, musicians, and most recently, the Pulitzer Prize-winning author, Anthony Doerr. On this two-year anniversary, we want to welcome all of you who are new. We love knowing that so many new listeners have found the show, and we hope that you'll enjoy exploring our episodes which from the beginning have been aimed at reimagining life through creativity and community. If you're wondering where to start, you can find our episode starter pack on our website, shelterinplacepodcast.org, at the top of our episodes page. We also want to celebrate all of you who've been with us from the very beginning. You make up the Shelter in Place neighborhood that has made it possible for us to continue this for two years, despite those years being some of the most challenging ones financially and personally that we've ever had. You've kept the lights on in the months when our world felt especially dark, and your encouragement, support, and continued presence have made us feel less alone more times than we can count. At the end of the episode today, I'll take a moment to celebrate each and every one of you. Whether you're brand new to the show or you've been here all along, we are so glad you're here. In celebration of two years as a show, we're doing a shelter-in-place retrospective. Today, we're taking you all the way back to that first episode, which was just six minutes long, and then we're bringing you through a couple of key moments in that first season that led us to where we are today. And since we've learned a lot since that first season, when it was just me with a microphone, we've also brought in some elements of sound design and audio editing that wasn't there the first time around. As always, we've included an outtake at the end of the episode, our little Easter egg to thank you for listening to the very end. We hope that you enjoy this look back in time and that you'll come away from today's episode feeling a little more hopeful and a lot less alone. So let's get to it starting with our very first season one episode, Lockdown. Like so many of you, I was home with my kids yesterday when I got the news that for the next three weeks, the Bay Area will be on 24-hour lockdown to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. I'm not one to freak out, not right away anyway. And so my immediate response was to sigh heavily and then continue explaining to my kindergartner the difference between even and odd numbers. That was early afternoon. I was still hanging in there. Since my husband and I are both freelancers, 
The biggest shift for us so far has been that we have to somehow try to work while also having our three children home with us full time. Since he needed to go into the office today for the last time as it turned out, it was just me and the kids. Our internet has been out since Saturday, not because of the coronavirus, just an unhappy coincidence. But the schedule I'd worked on so laboriously all weekend actually seemed to be working. I had successfully gotten an eight, six, and three-year-old to buy into my nature and art walk, where we had walked the neighborhood, written notes, and drawn pictures of flowers and rocks, or for the younger one, smiley faces, which she calls felices. The older two, who were in a season of almost constant fighting, were generally kind to each other and even helped each other out a few times. For the first time ever, they unloaded and loaded the dishwasher and were even cheerful about it. The little one who likes to fool around during nap time actually slept. But by evening, things were degenerating. I'd confiscated the magnetiles when my son threw a temper tantrum and a butter knife at me. An accident, he swore. The kids were whiny and irritable. My call to AT&T about the internet made me nearly homicidal. I had to wait through 10 minutes of advertisements that forced me to opt in or out of car insurance, some sort of sweepstakes, and other unrelated services I can't recall, just to get to a real person. And then after all that, they disconnected me anyway. By the time my husband walked in the door a little after five and said something to me about dinner that was just the tiniest bit impatient, I cried, I'm about to flip my lid. I need you to walk back out that door, count to 10, and think about the kind of day I've had before you come back in. Which, to his credit, he actually did, and then encouraged me to go for a bike ride. It was almost six o'clock when I headed out, and the sky overhead was sunny day blue, but dark clouds were pressing in on the horizon. I thought I'd be out there alone, but I saw so many people. Bikers, walkers, kids on scooters and in strollers. I guess we were all desperate for those last few hours of freedom. As I rode, I thought about what it means to shelter in place. Shelter in place. A phrase at once both benign and ominous. I thought about the months we spent indoors during the wildfire seasons these past few years. How a home can feel like a shelter or a cage. I thought about the thousands of homeless people in our city who have no place to take shelter. I thought about what it means to be in place. How here in the Bay Area, being outside and moving is a core value that almost everyone I know shares. And moving doesn't just mean exercise, but the freedom to spend your time in the way that you choose to spend it. But for most of us, all of that has changed overnight. By the time I got back from my bike ride, the dark clouds bisected the sky, but they hadn't taken over completely. I don't know about you, but I need to find a way to keep seeing that blue sky, even on the darkest days. I need to find a way to shelter that feels safe, not fearful. A way to get through these long days with my kids without feeling alone. I need a way to keep in touch both with the writing that feeds my soul and connect to the people I can't be with right now. Whatever happens down the road, I think we're all going to look back on this and see this time as significant. As a writer, I need to find a way to mark that history for myself. My friend Jen said to me last night that she thinks podcasts today are what letters used to be. They give us a way to share our deepest selves, but they also capture the moment in history that we're living in. Think of this podcast as my daily letter to you about life, writing, and the things I want to share with you in person but can't. I'll do my best to put out an episode every day. 
I'll share in real time how I'm experiencing this unprecedented moment in our shared history. I'd love for you to join me on this journey and to let me know how this experience has been for you. That episode, Lockdown, was aired on March 17, 2020. The next moment we want to take you to is one month in, when you can hear reality begin to sink in. This was officially no longer a three-week project to pass the time until life went back to normal. In a time when so many industries, including construction, had stuttered to a stop, Nate's work as a copywriter for a company that built custom homes had slowed to a trickle that would soon come to a stop. And yet even one month in, you can see the seeds of all that would grow out of that time. Here's that episode now. Yesterday marked one month of sheltering in place. Last night, as my husband Nate and I sat around folding laundry after the kids were in bed, we talked about how our life has changed, and also how it's confirmed what we already knew. They're the obvious ones, like homeschooling our kids, which, even though Nate's mom did a bang-up job of homeschooling him, we never want to do ourselves. That's going pretty much exactly like we thought it would. There's having to completely rethink our finances and our future plans, which we're feeling strangely detached from in ways that we can't yet explain. There's not having as much time to parent together, because we're taking opposite shifts with the kids so we can work. And there's also relief, and not having activities to attend, distances to drive, places to arrive on time. A couple of weeks ago, my old grad school teacher, Victor Laval, posted something on Twitter that I've been thinking about ever since. Victor is a wildly accomplished writer, and he's on my short list of teachers who shaped me significantly. If you're looking for something to read right now, I highly recommend his books, which are weird and wonderful and totally right for the times we're living in. Victor lives in New York, where COVID-19 has arrived in this country most intensely, over 7,900 deaths as of this morning. I contacted him last night to ask his permission to share his words with you and to see how he and his family were doing. The words of his I wanted to quote are these. Quarantine seems a lot like fame. It doesn't change who you are. It amplifies who you always were. Though I'm not famous, Victor's words immediately struck me as true. A couple of weeks ago, after an episode took me longer than usual, Nate commented to me that this project is a great outlet for my workaholism. The comment annoyed me, but I couldn't deny the truth of it. I've mentioned before that this project is one I never would have taken on before COVID-19. I was never one of those people who had a surplus of ideas, and even if I'd wanted to do something daily, it wasn't possible. In my pre-COVID-19 life, I had three days a week to write. In those three days, I was chipping away at a novel, short stories, an essay, another podcast that included interviews all over the country, and doing freelance work. I know, it's ridiculous. I knew it then, too. I would try focusing on a single project for a while, but every time I got a little momentum, the demands of parenting would crowd in. One of the kids would be homesick. There were parent-teacher conferences. I'd need to bring cupcakes to school for a birthday celebration. Not surprisingly, I rarely finished anything. And then a month ago, I got the crazy idea for this podcast. To be fair, it's a project that probably wouldn't be possible if Nate's work hadn't been pared back so severely. Like most people right now, we're figuring that out, calculating how long we can survive. If I'd known that this was going to go on longer than three weeks, I doubt I would have taken it on. But I'm glad I did, 
Because after eight years of longing to not just create, but complete, now I get to do it every day. Some days are better than others, of course, but the work continues to sustain me in ways that I didn't anticipate. I think after decades of feeling like my work was going nowhere, like no one really knew me because many of my family and friends had never even read my work, it feels good to finally be putting something out there. I have no regrets about having my kids. For all my frustrations with them, I adore them. But COVID-19 has shown me what I knew deep down all along. Parenting alone does not feed my soul. I've asked Nate more than once if he wants me to pull the plug on this project. I don't want to give in to the pull of workaholism, and at the end of the day, my family comes first. But every time he says no, without hesitation, he said he's never seen me so happy. It sparks some really interesting conversations between us. He doesn't want to do this forever. I don't either. But he says for now, for this season, it's been a really good thing. But I'm not ready to let myself off the hook. Because there's another layer to Victor's observation that pierces me, one that's harder to talk about. I've heard so many of my friends say that while this time has been hard, it's also been wonderful. They've had all these sweet moments with their kids. We've had some too, but mostly it's been a struggle. I'm worried that maybe the problem isn't my kids, but me. Every day when I come inside around lunchtime to take my shift with the kids, it feels like the worst parts of me surface. All I want to do is go back out and work some more. I feel terrible even admitting that. I go into every afternoon with plans of the things I'll teach my kids, of the fun dance parties and neighborhood bike rides and singing songs we'll do together. I've spent so many hours this past month pouring through advice from moms who homeschooled before COVID-19, reading the endless updates and resources and videos that all three of my kids' teachers are sending. I tried schedules, lists, the daily plan on the blackboard that now sits in our kitchen-turned-school. But most days, that all goes out the door within minutes. Instead of teaching them, I'm officiating fights, or trying to convince our three-year-old to actually be quiet during quiet time, or persuading my older kids of the need to regularly use the bathroom. I'm also battling my own reluctance, my inability to just let my to-do list go and be fully present with my kids. There's always dinner to think about, or that growing stack of unopened mail, or some school project we were supposed to be doing but that I never quite got around to, or that email I should really answer while the kids are playing in the next room. Before COVID-19, I felt stuck in a constant panic of not being able to keep up with my life, work included. Now I'm just letting more things go. Before I could kid myself that maybe I just needed better systems for organization. But now, when almost everything in my life has been cleared off the table, I'm faced with a more complicated truth. If quarantine amplifies who I always was, then what's been amplified in my own life is not just my struggle to feel in control, but to be content in the chaos. I want the straightforward simplicity of a project that challenges me but doesn't whine, complain, or defy me. I want to be able to pretend that life is only about creating, and don't get me wrong, I think life is about creating. I think it's an essential part of our humanity that we find our own unique way of releasing a bit of ourselves to the world. But life is also messy and loud and complicated. Often it's infuriating. It's a lot more like what goes on inside my house than what goes on inside my writing shed. 
I've spent a lot of the last 18 years trying to conform myself to the vision of motherhood that I thought I was supposed to be. I've tried to be craft mom, teacher mom, the fun mom who loves playing with them. By and large, those efforts were an exercise in futility. In my worst moments, they led me to despair. It's taken me years of mom guilt to realize that there isn't just one way of being a mother. When I look at the mothers I admire most, the common thread is that all of them have found a way to create something that gives them joy and purpose in the midst of the chaos. And I do think that's what writing has been for me. Sometimes I'm not sure I know how to be authentically me and still parent my kids well. How to be content knowing that whether in writing or in life, I'm never going to be that ideal vision of myself. But maybe that's exactly where I need to be. To live in the constant reality that I don't have this figured out. It's a reality that forces me to get more organized, but that also pushes me to give myself and others more grace. Maybe that's the best thing to come out of this time. The best goal. To be a little less tight-fisted with order and ambition. And a little more open-handed with grace. That episode, which was called One Month Later, originally aired on April 15th, 2020. I'll be right back with more of this story right after this short break. We're celebrating our two-year anniversary as a show, and at the same time celebrating Women's History Month as well. Hashtag Claim Pod Parody is a movement to celebrate women in this industry, who've made a difference both in the podcasts they're creating and the ways that they're helping other women to thrive. It's our chance to uplift and amplify the voices of women podcasters, we hope you'll join us as we celebrate women in podcasting all throughout this month. Just search for hashtag claim pod parody on any social media platform and share the posts that you find there. We'd love to know who you're listening to. To close out today's season one retrospective, I want to share with you episode 100, the very last episode of season one. It's called Performance Review. Shelter in place performance review. Employee name, Laura Joyce Davis. Title of position, host, producer, writer, editor, production manager, sound engineer, operations director, finance manager, business development, fact checker, donor relations, sponsorship coordinator, and office manager. Reviewed by shelter in place HR. Period covered by review. March 17th to July 17th, 2020. Section 1. Job Knowledge. Rating. Good. While it is generally not advisable to begin a project mere hours after the idea for said project is conceived, the proposal was approved because it was seemingly low risk due to its pro bono nature, and there was quote-unquote historical value of chronicling this quarantine. It was not evident to management the extent to which the employee lacked the skills to edit audio, but some improvement has been noted in this area. Laura's comments. I've been writing stories all my life, but let's be real. When I started this podcast on March 17th, I had no idea what I was getting into. When I came back from that fateful bike ride on March 16th, struck by what felt like divine inspiration and a creative energy I hadn't felt for a very long time, the kids had only been school for one day. Nate still had a job. 
Even though I made my pitch to Nate in a bike helmet and those dorky diaper butt biking shorts, he agreed. We didn't really believe that this pandemic would change anything. I'll just write a single draft and record the first take, I reasoned. It'll be rough, just whatever comes out. Kind of like journaling. I'll just do it for me. That first week, I tried to stick to that plan. I tried to be done by noon so Nate could work in the afternoon while I took my shift with the kids. But I kept pushing that time later and later. When Nate lost his job, my half days turned into full days. Even a few days in, the project felt bigger than me. I didn't know anything about editing audio, so sometimes I stumbled over my words. Especially in those early episodes, you can hear in my voice when I was tapped out, sleep-deprived, and writing from the dregs of a life spent wrangling obstinate children. It took me two weeks to realize that my theme music was drowning out my voiceover, and another week to learn how to fix it. I thought, well, that was that. At least there's tomorrow. And as someone who has spent years writing and endlessly revising novels and short stories, it was good for me to loosen up, to realize that no one else cared as much as I did if my work wasn't perfect. I tried to remind myself of that when I noticed some phrase or word that I was unconsciously returning to, or when my attempts at tenderness turned saccharine. In another life, I would have edited out those imperfections. In this one, I just kept moving. I watched YouTube videos and learned how to edit my audio. I did interviews using my years as a fiction writer to create a narrative arc in each conversation, to make people sound both exactly like themselves and also like the most thoughtful, articulate version of themselves. I started playing around with layering voices, like in episode 88, Timber Tantrum, and 96, Fierce. Recently, I started adding outtakes just for the fun of it, little Easter eggs for people who listen through the credits. The more I learned, the more ambitious I became. My days kept getting longer. I didn't want to work such long hours. But also, after being the primary caregiver for eight years, writing every day was a new kind of relief. After years of squeezing my fiction into the margins and rarely achieving the sense of progress I craved, I was working every day, honing new skills with clear milestones along the way. Section two, judgment. Did the employee make decisions in the best interest of the company while performing their duties? Rating needs improvement. Project approval was contingent on a three-week scope of work. The employee consistently failed to seek approval through the proper chain of command and showed questionable judgment in continuing beyond the initial conditions of employment without approval from management. Inaccurate estimates for project implementation were a chronic issue and must be addressed for the project to continue. Laura's comments. When this started, I didn't even know that daily podcast usually means Monday through Friday. I even considered doing Sundays. I didn't stop to consider that all of the podcasts I love have teams of people and budgets big enough to pay them. Was it really necessary to release episodes on Memorial Day and the 4th of July? Couldn't I have at least given myself the holidays off? Who did I think was keeping score? There's been so little in our world that we could count on during this time. The thing that kept me going week after week after week was hearing from all of you. I'd made an early promise to show up and create something six days a week, and I was hearing from enough of you to know that that promise meant something. It wasn't much, but I wanted you to know that I wouldn't bail just because life was getting hard. Many years ago, I came across James Clear's blog about the four burners theory. 
The burners, as he defines them, are family, friends, health, and work. He quotes David Sedaris saying, In order to be successful, you have to cut off one of your burners. And in order to be really successful, you have to cut off two. I didn't just turn down one burner. I turned off three. After years of trying to keep all of the burners at low flame, working a lot made me feel successful for a while. James says that we have three possible options when it comes to the four burners. We can outsource one or more of our burners, embrace our constraints, or accept that this is a season of life where we won't be as productive or as balanced. I mostly outsource childcare to Nate, who has been gracious, but has also sometimes growl screamed at me like a monster and threatened to quit. Grace often complains that I'm just a boring work mom and left a particularly heart-wrenching note on my birthday that said, Mommy, please stop working. When one of the kids wets the bed in the middle of the night, they go to Nate now, not me. There have been some tense moments at Shelter-in-Place headquarters, especially when I was working into the night, abandoning Nate to the 5 to 8 p.m. bedtime battle when our children shapeshift into goblins. I've worked 12 to 14 hours, six days a week, like it was normal. I've forgotten how to have a good night's sleep. I've let exercise fall by the wayside and drank so much coffee. James writes, The four burners theory reveals a truth everyone must deal with. Nobody likes being told they can't have it all, but everyone has constraints on their time and energy. Every choice has a cost. Essentially, we are forced to choose. Would you rather live a life that is unbalanced but high-performing in a certain area? Or would you rather live a life that is balanced but never maximizes your potential in a given quadrant? Clearly, this has been a season of accepting a certain amount of imbalance for all of us. But no one should continue at this pace. There's a phrase that's been thrown around a lot during this pandemic. Productivity porn. It's showing off how much we can get done now that we're at home all the time. I've been aware that this podcast could be perceived that way. But instead, it's been anything but. Because pretty early on, it became clear to me that this wasn't just a podcast. It was a chance to rethink life. Doing something every day forced me to take a very long, hard look in the mirror and decide if I was going to do something about what I saw. I knew I had the capacity for workaholism, but this was the first time I'd gotten a chance to work at something I really loved. I saw how my ambition could be an idol or a gift. I saw up close the ways I'd let down my family and friends, how selfish I can be. I realized that there's a war inside me every day between the desire to live comfortably and the desire to live well. And I tried in episode after episode to be real about these things, to use every interaction as a chance to extend kindness and generosity, to do better than I had before at saying thank you. So yes, things will be different from this point forward. We'll be shifting to weekly episodes instead of daily. We'll be taking a break between seasons because we need it. If I'd known that we would get to 100 episodes, I never would have taken this on. Which is not to say that I regret it, because I've learned so much. It's connected me to all of you. It's made me realize that though we're all coming from very different places, we have a lot to offer each other even when we can't be physically together. I feel hopeful about the future because of you. Section three, leadership and initiative. Rating, 
above average. Given the constraints of this project, the employee's proactivity is commendable. It has been noted that the employee's core competency of feelings has been leveraged to facilitate a wide range of episodes and variety of content. Laura's comments. These are strange times. The boundaries between personal and professional have been blurred like a child's watercolor. Days after shelter-in-place began, Nate lost his job, and we had to pull the plug on our plans to move to Mexico for a sabbatical year that we've been planning and saving for for 10 years. The original plan was to be on our way there now. Sometimes it feels like this time of quarantine has just been one wave of loss after another. It's been a season of forced minimalism, living with less and less, while more and more of the old life disappears. There's always a sense of missing out when you move far away from family, but that distance has never felt greater than it does now. Our extended families have lived so much life without us during this quarantine. I shared one especially painful instance of this in episode 68, Difference. I'm slowly coming to terms with the knowledge that we may not see our families for at least another year. But there's a persistent hope that's been there in the background in episode after episode. Even as I see our country and our world become more polarized and divided, I'm experiencing something quite different in my day-to-day living because of this podcast. I'm having conversations with people that are raw and deep, and I'm listening a lot more than I'm talking. I keep thinking about something Moki Musao said to me in an episode called Circling Back. We don't have to agree with each other if we're willing to consider the possibility that the people we disagree with might be saying something true, it'll change us. I found that statement working on me often. It's softened me every time I hear strong words that I'm not sure I agree with. It's made me willing to listen when people talk about belief or unbelief, about justice or forgiveness. Just allowing for the possibility that what they're saying might be true has made me more open-hearted. I've done my best to be honest about what that process has been like. If you've listened from the very beginning, then you actually know me quite well. If you're still here, then it means you've decided to stick around anyway. And that means more than you know. Section 4. Planning and Organization. Rating. Satisfactory. Recommendations were made for focusing on non-controversial topics, but were not followed. However, synergy between audio diary, research, interviews, so-called creative writing, and the 12 recurring themes has been observed. Episode content was at times unexpected, but did reflect current events. Laura's comments. A lot has happened in our world as I've written these episodes. As an Enneagram 4, I am pretty useless at compartmentalization. You'll know what that means if you listen to episodes 74 through 86, our series on the Enneagram. On the days when the world felt particularly broken, you got my brokenness too. From the very beginning, Nate's Aunt Sarah, who created our logo and other graphics, asked us a very pointed question. What was this show really about? In the beginning, it was simple. It was about not going crazy, about making it through another day. But over time, we realized that what we needed was different depending on the day. There were days when we needed levity and hope, days when we missed touch or community, days when we needed to laugh, 
or cry or just simply stop and rest. But through all of that was this thing. We were trying to reimagine life through creativity and community, trying to look unflinchingly at the hard things, but not lose hope. I've shed many tears over the course of those hundred episodes, but I've laughed a lot too. It hasn't always been easy, but it's been good. Through all of that, I've tried to come to you not as an authority, but as a fellow traveler. Each review, email, or text from listeners has reminded me that I'm not alone. Section 5. Budgeting and Fiscal Responsibility Rating Needs Improvement The employee's extensive research and monetizing project deliverables has been observed. Reduced discretionary expenditures have been a favorable aspect of project execution. However, to expedite a win-win, implementation of additional revenue streams is strongly recommended. Laura's comments. Funding this work, which is to say funding our life, is the greatest challenge that Shelter-in-Place has to overcome. In a very sobering conversation just last week, Nate's business-savvy cousin Catherine told us that entrepreneurs should expect to work at least 12 to 18 months without pay, and often longer. We don't know if we have that long, so we're doing our best to get creative. We've talked to a lot of industry veterans in this work, and we know that it is possible to make a living off of a podcast, but it's also not as simple as it seemed at the beginning. Still, there's a lot that we've learned. Whether we're talking about NPR or the two guys rehashing Scooby-Doo reruns, yes, there's a show for that. Podcasts survive through donor support, sponsorship, selling merch, ad revenue, or in some cases being purchased by a larger network, or often some combination of all of these things. We've tried to see this work as the startup business that it is, and we're exploring all of the options that I listed here for funding. And also, we're realizing that every single one of those things that I listed requires the work of a full-time job to get there. So we're doing our best to get a lot of good advice and pick and choose which things we can pursue while still trying to be there for our kids. Probably the simplest way to generate revenue is through listener support. And we wanna say thank you to each and every one of you who has already been a part of that. If you'd like to support Shelter in Place, you can do that on our website, shelterinplacepodcast.org. We've also pitched to some networks. But even that conversation is complicated. Networks are not eager to bring on shows unless it's obvious that they already have tons and tons of downloads. So if you're not able to financially support us, but you can share this podcast with a friend, that also helps us so much in these larger goals of making this work sustainable. Whether or not you've been with us since that very first episode, or you're just stopping by for the first time, we want you to know that you're welcome here. So have a seat. Grab a cup of coffee or a glass of wine. We'll skip the small talk and listen while you tell your story. We'd love to hear from you. We hope that you've enjoyed this blast into the past as we celebrate two years of shelter in place. We know that you hear it from everyone, but it really does help us so much if you subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Podchaser, or any other podcast app that has ratings and reviews. We are so honored to be selected as a Good Pods feature for the second time this year. If you haven't already checked out Good Pods, now is a great time to do it. 
Thank you so much, Good Pods, for helping people to find indie podcasters like us. Shelter in Place is listener-supported. If you'd like to support this work, you can do that for as little as $5 a month at shelterinplacepodcast.org. As always, if you listen to the very end of the episode, you'll hear Shelter in Place outtakes. But first, I want to take a moment to thank each and every one of our monthly and one-time supporters. Alice and Damon Snyder, Alexis and Matt Iaconis, Ben and Bethany Corey, Angela Broad, Nick Schaefer, Tom Smith, Jen McKillips, Chelsea and Chris Boniak, Jennifer Sheedy, Patty Wessner, Elliot Davis, Anthony Dorr, Melissa Lent, Hillary Davis, Ed and Janie Radio, Nick and Madeline Van Santen, Annie Gullick, Diane Castro, Joanne Freitas, Rebecca Bodenheimer, Carly and Matt West, Jake and Jennifer Armerding, Kirsten Hernandez, Anne and Tyler Elliston, Donovan and Emily Chandler, Angela Cochran, Becca Alvarez, Amy Otto, Carol Toninato, Amy and Ed Uzensky, Melissa Choi, Tony and Becky Lai, Nick and Aaron Bay, Phyllis Arndt, Dave and Kathy Emmons, Karen Klaman, Judy Vasos, The Purple Principle Podcast, Sandy Rood, Mira Nair, Lucy French, Anthony and Michelle DeVito, Gabrielle Edgel, Jody Bayunowski, Mary Reed, Caitlin Salamini, Lynn and Peter Chen, Paul Baker, Roxanne Beth Johnson, Jenna and Stu Rentz, Nina LaCour and Kristen Strobel, Elena Lovo, Sandra Lormand, Vanessa Littman, Connie Blackwood, Wes and Adrian Selkie, Lyle and Tina Joyce, Jack and Robin Davis, and finally, special thanks to our newly formed Kasama Collective Board, Sarah Valor, Giselle Mira, and Lynn Chen. The Shelter in Place music was created by Chase Horseman at Reactor Productions. Additional music and sound effects for this episode come from Storyblocks. Melissa Lent is our project manager. Sarah Edgel is our design director. Nate Davis is our creative director. And as always, I'm your host and executive producer. Until next time, this is Shelter in Place. I'm Laura Joyce Davis. And now if you're still listening, here's a little outtake. I think your work is good. You guys have worked a lot on it. Sometimes mommy jumps on the trampoline with me. I liked it when me and mommy were out running together, writing stories with mommy. And I like riding bikes with daddy. We've done a little more like that. I guess you're not a boring work mom anymore.